Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Three, two, one. But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Sports Podcast presented by Betfred Sportsbook. It is Tuesday, November 29th, 2022. People, I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is having a great day, and I hope everybody is ready for kind of a quick, fast-paced episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast here on a Tuesday. We have two quick topics, and we will get out of here. We're going to start the big news in college football. The back and forth with Auburn is done. Auburn has its new football coach, Hugh Freeze. I'm going to tell you why they not only got this higher right, but why I believe that he can win right away in the modern era of college football. From there, we are going to take a quick break, and as promised, we are going to go ahead and look at the Feast Week results in college basketball. We talked about the Maui Invitational on last Friday's show, so if you missed that, go back and download it. We hit on Arkansas, Arizona, Creighton, etc. Today, we're going to look at the PK-85 events where... Who had UConn and Purdue winning their both their respective brackets? We'll obviously talk about struggles from Carolina and Duke. Alabama winning a four-overtime thriller. Loaded show. We'll also hit on some of the other odds and ends from Feast Week. Fun, we- fun show, quick show. We will get out of here. One quick announcement before we get out of here, though. Before we get started, I should say. Uh, the Aaron Torres merch store. We're doing a second 20% off. So here's the deal. Last Friday, we did a Black Friday 20% off sale, AaronTorresOnline.com slash merchandise. We decided to bring it back for Cyber Monday. We'll hold it until Tuesday for those of you listening to the show. But we got our Mike F. and Woodson shirts, our Big Pig Invasion shirts, our Mora Hurley 2024 shirts. You're going to love them. By the way, Auburn fans, we may have something for you coming. So make sure to stay tuned there. AaronTorresOnline.com slash merchandise. Great holiday gifts for friends. Great holiday gifts for family. Oh, by the way, Kentucky fans, we actually have a few of my book, One in Fun. We have some autographed copies available. You can get it all there. Make sure to check it out. With that said, though, let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day, let's just get to it. The long winding road at Auburn in their football coaching search is over. Really, honestly, by Auburn standards, Really not quite as crazy as I was anticipating. Brian Harson gets fired about a month ago. 
From there, they get hot and heavy with Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin uses them to get more at Ole Miss like I told you he was going to. Then they pursue Hugh Freeze. Then there's like a little one-day, 36-hour window where the fan base revolts. The fan base gets mad. I don't know what percentage of the fan base it was, but they were very vocal on social media. You think maybe Auburn is going to move off of Hugh Freeze? No, 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 no. As of, uh, what, about Monday, 3 o'clock Eastern or so, Hugh Freeze is officially your Auburn head football coach. And so let's break it down. Let's talk about him, his past, the present, the future. Because I'll tell you, there are a lot of layers to this hire, but ultimately, I do believe this was the right hire for Auburn. And let's get right to that right there. I believe this was the guy for Auburn. I have always believed this was the guy for Auburn. Listen, ultimately, at the end of the day, You can kick the tires on Lane Kiffin. I never thought, as I just said a minute ago, that Lane Kiffin was ever a serious candidate at Auburn. That's no knock on Auburn. That's just the reality of the situation. Ole Miss wasn't going to get outbid. Ole Miss, he's kind of settled there. He's got things going. He doesn't seem like at this point in his career, he wants to jump around jobs. He did that with Tennessee and USC a decade ago. He said how happy he is at Ole Miss. And so to me, I never really believed that he was going to end up at Auburn. And so right behind him all along was Hugh Freeze. And why I believe Hugh Freeze was the best candidate for this job is pretty straightforward. Once Lane Kiffin says no, there's only one guy that has proven the ability to win at a very high level in the SEC, and more specifically when you're Auburn, to beat Nick Saban, right? So in terms of winning at the highest level, I think people don't really realize just how good Hugh Freeze actually was at Ole Miss. I mean, I know how it ended and it was bad and it was this and it was that. Here's the bottom line with Hugh Freeze, though. Gets there, takes over a 2-10 and program in the pre-transfer portal era. In year one, Ole Miss goes 7-6 and and goes to a bowl game. Okay, so a five-win improvement in year one. Uh, By year two, they are playing at a really high level. By year three, they are going to a New Year's Six Bowl. And by year four, they have 10 wins, okay? And so you talk about an incremental rise, right? From seven wins, bowl game, bowl game, New Year's Six in year three to a Sugar Bowl win and 10-win season in year four. At Ole Miss in the modern era, that's about as good as it gets. I know Lane Kiffin made a a Sugar Bowl last year. I get that. This is no disrespect to what Lane Kiffin did. But that four-year stretch was really, really, really special. Oh, by the way, during that four-year stretch, you know what it included? Two wins over Nick Saban. And so you can poo-poo it, and you can say it was seven or eight years ago, and he hadn't done this, and the program hadn't changed that. The bottom line is, and I've thrown this stat around, as best as I know, and I could be wrong on this, but I don't think I am. There are only three guys in major college football that have multiple head-to-head coaching wins against Nick Saban. Uh, One, Dabo Sweeney. He's been pretty good the last decade. Now, what Dabo does going forward, I don't know, but he's been pretty good. The other is Gus Malzahn. And of course, the other is Hugh Freeze. And so when you look at the current situation, if you're Auburn, and the end game is to, one, compete at the highest level, but two, compete with that other guy across the state who has given you fits for 15 years, there's only one guy that has gone head-to-head and is absolutely fearless that you can realistically get. There's only one guy that's actually crazy enough to take the Auburn job given the circumstances. That's Hugh Freeze, and you went and got him. Here's the thing, though, about Hugh Freeze that I, I don't think enough people really talk about when it comes to him. 
We talk about the two great seasons at Ole Miss. We talk about the two great wins against Alabama. What I think goes understated, though, is the fact that this guy has basically won everywhere he has gone all throughout his career, okay? Here is his resume before and after Ole Miss for people who have forgotten. He won at the high school level. We've all seen the blind side. We've all seen Michael Orr. Before Michael Orr, after Michael Orr, during Michael Orr. Won a lot of football games. Goes to an NAIA school called Lambeth. Year one, eight wins. Year two, 12 and one. I'd say that's pretty good. Goes to Arkansas State from there in one season. Wins 10 games. Goes to Ole Miss. And then I think this is the important part, okay? This is the part that I think is important. Gets fired from Ole Miss, and we know what happened. We're going to talk about it in a minute. But then after a few years out of football, gets back in at Liberty, and immediately wins right away. Eight wins in year one, 10 wins in year two, eight wins in each of the last two seasons. And remember, this was a program that was transitioning to the FBS level. This was a program that was not competing at the same level as everybody else in terms of scholarships and in terms of all the other things that come with being a full-fledged FBS member. Guy won eight games across the board, was eight and one this year before they struggled down the stretch. Now, some of it maybe, at least on Saturday, was because of the rumors about Auburn, but Never forget, he went into an SEC stadium and got a win. What? Same number of SEC wins this year as Brian Harson, uh, One win each. So this guy can coach. And I think that last part is the important part. It'd be one thing if he coached in the SEC a million years ago and hadn't had success since. Or he left and he went somewhere else and now he's trying to come back. I talked about it with Matt Rule on Monday show. You just never know when you get a guy for a second, third go around. Hugh Freeze, though, I do think is a little bit different, right? He's been in the footprint and he is coaching now and still winning at a high level. Be one thing if he went and was an assistant coach for a few years or one thing and he went to the NFL and disappeared, whatever. This guy was winning in college this year and last year and the 2020 COVID season. And so to me, he has had success. He has turned programs around quickly and he's talked about it on this podcast. What goes into winning? What goes into success at a high level? I give him credit, man. Everywhere he's gone, not only has he won, he's won right away. Now, of course, whenever you say nice things about Hugh Freeze, everybody gives the same answer. Well, they just see how he left Ole Miss. I'm not going to sit here. I'm not going to pretend like it was hunky-dory and I'm going to ignore it. And I'm not going to pretend. But a couple of thoughts kind of come to mind here. One, the guy made a very public mistake. It was embarrassing. It was really bad. And he had to answer for that mistake. He had to answer with his wife. He had to answer with his kids. But as I've said many times, if his wife has forgiven him and his kids have forgiven him, who am I to sit here and and, and judge somebody, their character, they're off the field, they're this, they're that. And by the way, it's not only because he's come on this podcast, because I asked him those tough questions and I thought he gave very good answers about forgiveness, about this, about that. And it was interesting. You know, I didn't put it out on social media because I didn't want to argue with idiots. But at the same time, how long, like, like, what is the... What, what's the term, the, the the period where, like, like how long does this guy have to keep saying I'm sorry before we all move on, right? Like, I say this all the time. I've used the analogy a million times. I argue with my mom all the time about Michael Vick, right? She's an animal advocate. Like, she thinks Michael Vick should never be allowed to, to, to leave the house again. And I say, Mom, like, he paid his penance to society. He went to jail. He did this. He did that. Now, I'm not comparing what Michael Vick did to what Hugh Freeze did, whatever. But at a certain point, you make a mistake. You got to be allowed to pick yourself up. up you have to be allowed to pick yourself up off the ground 
and be forgiven, right? Like, like that's part of society, right? We all make mistakes. I'm not saying that I'm perfect. I'm not saying that I, 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 I it condone the behavior if you freeze at Ole Miss, but at the same time, I'm just saying if his wife forgives him, if his kids forgive him, that's that. And how long do we like, what is the period where we, we have to keep pretending like we're outraged about it? Cause I, I don't really know that many people that are that outraged about it, made a mistake, forgiven, got back into coaching. Now he's in the sec, by the way, I said it on Monday show for the people that are like, well, you know, uh, what about, you know, there's stuff that you don't know about. I mean, yeah, maybe, but that's why you hire a search firm. Like that's why you pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to a search firm to make sure there's nothing else. And so if the search firm came back with nothing, then yes, I think it's okay to hire him. I think it's okay to let him lead a football program. And if you don't want it for your school, or if your school wouldn't have hired him, that's fine. Auburn wants to win. Auburn wants to beat Alabama. And that is what they are going to do. So I'm very curious to see how this plays out. By the way, credit to the AD John Cohen. I thought it took a little, some stones from John Cohen, right? Because we hear about Auburn all the time. We talked about it on Monday's show. J-A-B-A, just Auburn being Auburn. They can't get out of their own way on a lot of this stuff. And so I give John Cohen credit for staring his fan base in the face and saying, you know what? We're here to win football games. This guy made a mistake. We forgive him. By the way, if there was anybody that wasn't going to forgive him, it should be John Cohen. John Cohen was at Mississippi State when he was at Ole Miss. So credit to the AD for saying, look, we're here to win football games. And when we win a bunch, guess what? None of you are going to care about this stuff. And I truly believe that's going to be the case. Everybody moves on. We moved on from all sorts of people and all sorts of things and all sorts of indiscretion. So I don't really care. And I think the last thing I want to talk about is how quickly can Hugh Freeze flip this? Because I'm just going to tell you, I will say this. I think it's going to happen fast. I think it's going to be shocking how good they are. And I think Auburn fans are going to have a lot to be excited about in the coming years. First off, like I said, Hugh Freeze wins everywhere he goes. First head coaching job at the college level, 12 wins in year two at Lambeth, eight wins in year one. Ole Miss, two and 10 to seven and six in year one with the same roster in the pre-transfer portal era. Liberty, 10 wins by year two as they're transitioning from the FCS to the FBS. This guy wins everywhere he goes. And here's the crazy part. He has never taken over a program in the transfer portal era. And so when I look at Auburn, you know who my blueprint is for how quickly Auburn can flip things? How about those LSU Tigers? Went from six and six last year to nine and three this coming this past season, and they're the, they're the SEC West champs. Now, am I saying Auburn is going to win the SEC West next year? No, I don't think so. There's too many good coaches in that division. But can, in the transfer portal era, can you flip a roster really quick? Heck yeah, you can. Remember, LSU, their best offensive player, or their most important one, Jaden Daniels, was not on the roster at this time last year. And their best defensive player, Harold Perkins, wasn't on the roster last year. So that can happen really fast. Harold Perkins is a recruit. He was a five-star. He wasn't a transfer guy. But if LSU can flip it that fast, why can't Auburn? Also, USC, 4-8 and eight last year. They're playing to go to the college football playoff this weekend. You can go to the lowest levels of college football. UConn football. I've, I've shared the stat many times. Four wins from 2018 to 2021. My guy Jim Mora comes in. They're 6-6 six and six this year, and they're playing to go to a bowl. They are in a bowl. It's just a matter of where. So I think this can happen quick. I think NIL in this case is certainly going to help. We've talked quite a bit about Auburn's NIL setup. What is it? $13 million they have raised in funds. Again, 
Maybe you like NIL. Maybe you don't like NIL. This is the world that we live in. LSU's doing it. Alabama's doing it. USC's doing it. Ole Miss is doing it. Texas, Texas A&M. I'm not here to criticize anybody for doing it. This is the new world, and Auburn is in pretty good shape. And so you add all of that in. And oh, by the way, here's a fun fact. I looked at Auburn's schedule last year. So keep in mind, Auburn goes five and seven this year in a year where they're abjectly terrible and they fired their head coach. Okay. They go five and seven this year. I looked at their schedule for a year from now. They still play in the SEC West. You can't get rid of that. Georgia is still their permanent crossover game. Here is the rest of their schedule. They're out of conference games. UMass, that's probably a win, I would guess. Samford, uh, not Stanford, Samford, like the guy with the sun. Um, at Cal, Cal's terrible. Long flight, but they're terrible. Whole crowd will probably be Auburn fans, but they're terrible. I think Justin Wilcox is a good coach. I just think Cal's a really hard place to win. And then on top of that, your final game is against New Mexico State before you play Alabama. So those those feel like four wins right there. Again, Samford, UMass, New Mexico State, at Cal feels like four wins. And oh, you also get Vanderbilt in your cross-division game. So I think Hugh Freeze, you're going to be starting with a baseline of five wins. And this is after a season where you just went five and seven. And you're going to get bowl eligible. And you're going to get to six, seven, maybe eight wins next season, depending on how things break. Now, Alabama is still going to be Alabama. LSU is going to be year two under Brian Kelly. We'll see what happens at Ole Miss. AM, if they don't get creamed by the portal, should be pretty good. But I just bring this up to say, I think Hugh Freeze is going to win. He's going to win big. He's going to win quick. And everybody is going to completely forget about all the complaints they had today. All right, this is what I want to do. Take a quick break. I do want to come back. And when I come back, oh, you know what time it is. It's time to talk a little college hoops. It's time to talk feast week. We're going to go to Portland where UConn and Purdue got big time back-to-back victories. UNC Alabama played a thriller. Duke loses. Gonzaga loses. We're going to break it all down. We're going to discuss that next. All right, we're going to get back to the show in a minute. But before we do, I want to welcome back our presenting sponsor, Betfred Sportsbook and the Betfred Sportsbook app. Listen, by now I've told you the story. Started 1967 in the UK, over 1,600 shops in the UK, and they have come to the United States and made a major splash. They are the presenting sponsor of the Cincinnati Bengals, the Denver Broncos, the Colorado Rockies. Oh, by the way, Aaron Torres Media and the Aaron Torres Pod. And what I love about Betfred, nobody does more for their betters than Betfred does. What are they doing for you this week? Well, how about this? You bet 50 on any game, you get 250 in free bets courtesy of the Betfred Sportsbook. So you want to bet on college football, conference championships, NFL, college basketball, bet on anything. Doesn't matter. Betfred doesn't care. New users bet 50 on any game. And you get 250 in free bets courtesy of the Betfred Sportsbook. It is the best sportsbook, the only sportsbook that I work with. And I love working with Betfred. They are the presenting sponsor of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. All right, everybody, I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to go ahead, switch gears, and we're going to talk some college hoops. By the way, if you missed it on Friday's show, we did do a Black Friday show. We had reaction to the Maui Invitational, Arizona, Arkansas, Creighton, etc. So if you missed that, go back and listen. I should mention, by the way, speaking of Arkansas, I just got news as I'm recording. Uh, Devo Davis, one of their star players, has decided to step away from basketball for the time being for personal reasons. Don't know what's going on, but I wish him nothing but the best. Again, if you want more kind of Arkansas coverage, we did discuss them a little bit on Friday's show. With that said, though, we had a lot of other stuff that happened over the course of the weekend. And so what I want to do is spend the next 10, 20 minutes talking about Feast Week outside of Maui. Specifically, we'll probably focus mostly on the PK-85. Those were those two dueling tournaments, two separate tournaments going on at the same time in Portland to celebrate Phil Knight's uh, 85th birthday. Plan, I think, what I'm going to do, spend the next probably 10 or so minutes talking about the teams that I was most impressed by, the teams that had the best weeks in Portland, and then we'll take a quick break and talk about some of the disappointing ones because in many ways, the disappointing teams, the Dukes, the Carolinas, even to a degree, Gonzagas, uh, are maybe more interesting than the teams that had success. With that said, though, let's start with the teams that were, you know, kind of teams that, that really stood out to me that were impressive. And you already know where I am going to start. That is right. The UConn Huskies, baby. They go to Portland. And how about this? They played three teams that will probably make the NCAA tournament. Oregon, Alabama, and Iowa State. They beat all three teams by at least 15 points. How about my Huskies? And it's interesting, right? Because what I will say about, you know, being a, a pseudo public figure, I mean, a lot of you listen to me, um, is that, you know, I, I wear my emotions on the sleeve. I always try to be transparent with you guys and girls as listeners. And I think 99% of you know, I'm a UConn guy. Grew up in Connecticut, went to UConn, um, graduate of UConn, all that good stuff. And so whenever I talk about him, on the one hand, I think some people, oh, Torres, you're biased, you hate UConn. I think I'm actually, you know, like most fans, I'm, I'm too critical of my team at times because that's what we tend to do as fans. And so I bring it up because I'll be honest, in the offseason, and I think I talked about it at various points on this show, I just basically came to the conclusion, I really, really, really liked this UConn team coming into the season. Now, we didn't talk about them a ton in the preseason. They didn't do a ton in the transfer portal, didn't have a ton of super high-profile players. But when I looked at this roster coming into the year, I sat there and said, I think this has a chance to be a really good team. Especially in a Big East where, listen, Villanova's going through a coaching change. Xavier's going through a coaching change. Butler, Seton Hall are all going through coaching changes. Providence lost a lot. Creighton was the rightful favorite in the Big East coming into the year. But I thought UConn could be right behind him. 
I thought they could be behind them because of who they returned. Uh, the Big East preseason player of the year, Adama Sonogo. On top of that, two projected potential first-round picks in junior Andre Jackson, sophomore Jordan Hawkins, brought in a nice recruiting class, brought in some nice transfers. So I was always high on this team. But what I will say, seeing UConn in person for three straight days or three out of four days in Portland, they are even better than I thought they would be. And here is the reason why. I don't know if they're the deepest team in college basketball. Arkansas's up there. Arizona's got a bunch of dudes, Creighton, whoever. But I think UConn has probably the most really high-level players that you can throw onto the floor against absolutely anybody, and they can contribute and they can compete. And I think that's ultimately what we saw in, um, in the Portland tournament over the course of this weekend. You know how I just mentioned they had this kid, Adama Sonogo, preseason uh, Big East Player of the Year, Jordan Hawkins, Andre Jackson, two players who were projected first-round picks depending on what mock drafts you look at? Here's the crazy part. I watched every minute of all three UConn games. I think you can argue they were not the three best players for UConn. How about this? Top 50 freshman, Donovan Klingon, he's from the state of Connecticut, seven foot two center, chooses UConn. He was actually the MVP of UConn's portion of the bracket uh, over the course of the weekend. With Adama Sonogo in foul trouble on Sunday night against Iowa State, finishes with 15 points, and he has been phenomenal. Bill Walton could not stop gushing about this guy as this guy just, you know, he stepped up, he did what he needed to do, seven foot two, he causes problems in the paint, he catches lobs. He was awesome, I would add. On top of that, Alex Caravan, a redshirt freshman, kind of enrolled at the midway point. He has been phenomenal early for the Huskies. He's averaging close to double figures, uh, shooting the ball really well. And on top of that, another guy that, that I thought really stood out, Joey Calcaterra. They call him Joey California. He transferred from the University of San Diego. He's been phenomenal as well. And what's really interesting about him was that he was basically, um, you know, basically labeled as a three-point shooter and nothing else. I thought he showed some really good playmaking skills, some really good ability in, in uh, the Portland tournament. And on top of that, he is shooting the crap out of the ball. And so when I look at this UConn team, they go 3-0, and they take care of business, few things stand out. One, I don't know if they're the deepest team in college basketball right now. What I do know is they are the deepest in terms of guys that can play and can contribute. Let me give you an example. They have a guard named Naheem Aline who transferred from Virginia Tech, averaged double figures there. He's averaging seven points per game this season in large part because the guys in front of him are just better. That's not a knock on him. That's just a reality, and it shows how deep and how talented this team is. The other thing, and I find this very interesting, I remember talking about it after UConn lost in the opening round of the NCAA tournament last year to New Mexico State. I remember saying point blank, like, the shooting has to get better. The skill level has to get better as UConn had four guys leave the, 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 the program last season, veteran players, no disrespect. They were all good, but some of them were a little bit uh, limited in what they can do. Well, fast forward, UConn still has kind of the size that they've always had. They're one of the top rebounding teams in the country, but they're shooting 37% from the three-point line. On top of that, 19 uh, assists per game compared to about 13 turnovers, so they're sharing the ball really well. Tristan Newton, a transfer from East Carolina, has been really good, but I'll tell you this. I thought this UConn team was a legit, probably top 15 team, probably somewhere in the second to third range in the Big East. Well, they're ranked in the top 
10 right now. They came in at number eight in the A people. I think if they had played earlier, they might be ranked even higher. They're really talented. They're really good. I think they are very clearly one in one A with Creighton in the Big East. I think that's going to be a fun battle. We'll talk about Villanova later. They ain't anywhere close. Uh, the other side of the bracket in, in Portland, I think it's worth noting. Purdue looked awesome. I can't give credit to UConn for three straight wins of 15-plus points without noting that when it comes to Purdue, they beat uh, Duke by 19 in the championship game, and the day before, they beat Gonzaga by 18. And so you look at Purdue, you can't say they didn't earn their stripes beating Gonzaga and Duke in back-to-back -back games, uh, games and wins that will carry all season long. But what I really liked about Purdue, I'll be honest, I think Purdue this year more than last year knows who they are. And so what do I mean by that? Last year, I always thought there was this weird dynamic where the the way that they played didn't highlight the skill of their best player. If you remember, they had a guard named Jaden Ivey. He was a top five pick. He went to the Detroit Pistons. And he was maybe the best player in college basketball last year or certainly one of a handful. The problem is Purdue, we've all watched them for years. They like to kind of feed the ball into the post, play through their centers, kind of some old school Big Ten basketball. Well, it was always a weird back and forth, and I think we saw it in the NCAA tournament when they lost to St. Peter's. It was this weird back and forth where do we let our star guard, who's the best player on the floor, take over? Do we feed the ball into the post? And there was just never any symmetry. Well, this year, that is not a problem at all as Zach Eady, seven foot four center. This kid is a monster, okay? I was watching the Duke game the other day. Duke has a pair of seven-footers. Derek Lively, top five prospect in America last year. Kyle Filipowski, top five prospect in America last year. Neither of them had anything close to an answer for this kid. And so when I look at it, I just sit there and say, man, oh man, oh man, oh man, oh man. This kid is awesome. Only player in college basketball right now averaging 20 points or more and 10 or more rebounds. He's actually averaging a little closer to 21 and 12 in the game against Duke in the title game. He went for 21 and 12 this after going for 23 and 7 against Gonzaga. And I'll just tell you when it comes to Purdue, a couple things stand out. One, I think they might be the best team in the Big Ten. Obviously, if you beat Duke and Gonzaga in back-to-back -back games, that's always a good thing. More importantly, how about the Big Ten? Now, we're going to learn a lot about the Big Ten this coming week with the Big Ten ACC Challenge, but at the same time, Big Ten right now, Indiana's already beaten Xavier at Xavier. Uh, Michigan State has beaten Kentucky and Villanova in back-to-back -back games, and I know Villanova struggled, but you get the point. Um, oh, by the way, Illinois took care of UCLA at the uh, one of the tournaments out in Vegas, and now Purdue looks really good as well. It's really interesting. We do it every year. We look at the Big Ten because the Big Ten doesn't sign a bunch of five stars because they don't have always a bunch of NBA prospects. We sit there and say, oh, that team stinks. By the way, Iowa has looked good too as well. And I'm just telling you, the Big Ten looks good once again. Purdue might be the best team in that conference. Really quickly, some of the other teams that stood out. Uh, you know, first of all, credit Alabama, man. You know, Alabama obviously lost to UConn. But not everyone's going to win the tournament. And overall, I thought they looked really good. They, of course, on Sunday played a wild four-overtime semifinal against number one-ranked North Carolina. They get the victory. When I look at Alabama, a couple of things stand out. One, and I know there's people that listen to this show or follow my work. And last year, Alabama had a couple big wins early. They beat Gonzaga in uh, Seattle. They beat Houston at home. And I hyped up Alabama. I think anybody would when you have a pair of top 10 wins. But 
I, 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 they struggle down the stretch and everybody wants to say, oh, it's going to be the same this year. You hype them up every single year. This feels a little bit different. I could be wrong. We'll find out, but it feels different. First off, they just seem to be playing with more kind of uh, chemistry and cohesiveness. The guards are awesome. I think there's kind of a clear pecking order where you have Brandon Miller, a true freshman who's an absolute star on that team. You have the veteran guards and Javon Quinterly, uh, Namari Burnett, the transfer from Texas Tech. Uh, and then you have the younger guys, Jaden Bradley, other guys that are bought in. So I like this team. Mark Sears, a transfer from Ohio. I like this team. And most importantly, two other things stand out. One, I like the depth, okay? They play fast. They shoot a lot of threes. And the bottom line is you can only play that way if you have really good players and a lot of really good players. Well, they have nine players who play at least 17 minutes. They seem much more cohesive. They seem to, to be a much just, just a more kind of balanced team than they were last year where it just never really clicked. And I would add this. They're starting to shoot the three ball again like we know they're capable of doing. And don't tell me, oh, it's early. They'll figure it out. They're, they're going to fall apart, blah, blah, blah. Everyone knows on the scouting report, Alabama shoots a lot of threes. And so to me, the fact that they're hitting about 36, 37% is a great sign so far. Really quickly, I would also give credit in Portland to the uh, Iowa State Cyclones. Okay, so Iowa State was the team that, first of all, they beat UConn in, or they beat North Carolina in the semifinals. So they have a great win on their resume. And they take care, they, they play UConn in the championship game. And it's kind of like what I said a second ago with you, with, with Alabama. Not everybody can win this thing. And so for Iowa State to go to Portland, beat Villanova, beat North Carolina, you do lose in the championship game, I think that's nothing but a great sign. For people who did not see Iowa State, the one thing they do, they defend their butts off, okay? I, you know, Bill Walton talked about this on the broadcast, but he said he's been to practices, you know, every team across the country through the years. He said he's never heard the communication level, the talking, everything that went on at Iowa State. They play incredible team defense, held their first opponent, not, not this weekend, but just in general held their first opponent to 39 points, 43 in the second game of the season, held North Carolina to 65 points, which which is their season low by a, a pretty significant margin in terms of the fewest points that they've scored. They had not scored fewer than uh, 69 since the opening night. They'll go for 65 against Iowa State. So credit Iowa State for getting uh, a couple victories out there in Portland. Again, overall, those were the teams that stood out. And I'll tell you what, one team that stood out that wasn't in Portland, we got to give credit to the Tennessee Vols. They go to the battle for Atlantis. They beat Butler, USC, and Kansas. Um, and I think what the, the way they're doing it is with defense. They hold Kansas to 50 points in the championship game. They hold them to 32% from the field, 23% from the three-point line. And I think the star there, the guy that you need to know is the guy that's been there forever. Santiago Vescovi is just that dude. Finished the championship game with 20 points. Um, and this is a team that I think is still kind of trying to figure itself out, right? Have the the SEC title run uh, late last year. Go to the NCAA tournament as one of the hottest teams in college basketball. It doesn't work out. But you lose an NBA draft prospect in Kennedy Chandler. You bring back everybody, but everybody's got slightly different roles. Credit to Tennessee. They took a weird loss early against Colorado, but they do bounce back. That's right, so what I want to do. Do want to take a quick break, come back, and when I come back, we will talk about the teams that have been disappointing so far and were disappointing in Feast Week. I'm, of course, going to talk about Villanova, going to talk about Duke, going to talk about Carolina. Who am I most concerned about? And to be blunt, who am I not concerned about at all? Take a quick break. Be right back. 
All right, we're going to get back to the show in a minute. But before we do, I want to welcome back Bracket Fanatics, the sponsor of our Aaron Torres Pod NFL Pick'em Challenge. By now, you know the story on Bracket Fanatics. We've worked with them for years with the NCAA tournament. This year, Bracket Fanatics has decided to do NFL, and specifically, they are, again, the presenting sponsor of the Aaron Torres Pod NFL Pick'em Challenge. For those of you who are not signed up, it is not too late. Here is all you got to do. Go to BracketFanatics.com, click the Join Bracket tab, do that. The bracket is named Torres, and you're automatically signed up. You're automatically entered once you click that Join Bracket tab. What can you win when you enter? Well, it's pretty straightforward. We are giving away a $1,000 season-long cash prize, and more importantly, for those of you who have not signed up, $100 weekly winners in the Aaron Torres Pod NFL Pick'em Challenge as well presented by Bracket Fanatics. So if you have not signed up, go to BracketFanatics.com, click the Join Bracket tab. The bracket is named Torres. All you got to do, go there, make your picks, win or lose, and we are giving out $100 weekly to one lucky winner and a $1,000 season-long cash prize. BracketFanatics.com. We will announce last week's winner later in the week. Go to BracketFanatics.com, join Bracket, Bracket named Torres, automatically entered to win $100 weekly cash prizes, and of course, the $1,000 season-long cash prize. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to go ahead, switch gears, and we're going to talk some college hoops. By the way, if you missed it on Friday's show, we did do a Black Friday show. We had reaction to the Maui Invitational Arizona, Arkansas, Creighton, etc. So if you missed that, go back and listen. I should mention, by the way, speaking of Arkansas, I just got news as I'm recording. Uh, Devo Davis, one of their star players, has decided to step away from basketball for the time being for personal reasons. Don't know what's going on, but I wish him nothing but the best. Again, if you want more kind of Arkansas coverage, we did discuss them a little bit on Friday's show. 
With that said, though, we had a lot of other stuff that happened over the course of the weekend. And so what I want to do is spend the next 10, 20 minutes talking about Feast Week outside of Maui. Specifically, we'll probably focus mostly on the PK-85. Those were those two dueling tournaments, two separate tournaments going on at the same time in Portland to celebrate Phil Knight's uh, 85th birthday. Plan, I think, what I'm going to do, spend the next probably 10 or so minutes talking about the teams that I was most impressed by, the teams that had the best weeks in Portland, and then we'll take a quick break and talk about some of the disappointing ones because in many ways, the disappointing teams, the Dukes, the Carolinas, even to a degree, Gonzagas, uh, are maybe more interesting than the teams that had success. With that said, though, let's start with the teams that were, you know, kind of teams that, that really stood out to me that were impressive and you already know where I am going to start. That is right. The UConn Huskies, baby. They go to Portland. And how about this? They played three teams that will probably make the NCAA tournament. Oregon, Alabama, and Iowa State. They beat all three teams by at least 15 points. How about my Huskies? And it's interesting, right? Because what I will say about, you know, being a, a pseudo public figure. I mean, a lot of you listen to me. Um, is that, you know, I, I wear my emotions on the sleeve. I always try to be transparent with you guys and girls as listeners. And I think 99% of, you know, I'm a Yukon guy, grew up in Connecticut, went to Yukon, um, graduate of Yukon, all that good stuff. And so whenever I talk about him on the one hand, I think some people, Oh, Torres, you're biased. You hate Yukon. I think I'm actually, you know, like most fans, I'm, I'm too critical of my team at times because that's what we tend to do as fans. And so I bring it up because I'll be honest in the off season. And I think I talked about it at various points on this show. I just basically came to the conclusion. I really, really, really liked this UConn team coming into the season. Now we didn't talk about them a ton in the preseason. They didn't do a ton in the transfer portal. Didn't have a ton of super high profile players. But when I looked at this roster coming into the year, I sat there and said, I think this has a chance to be a really good team especially in a big East where listen, Villanova's going through a coaching change. Xavier's going through a coaching change. Butler Seton Hall are all going through coaching changes. Providence lost a lot. Creighton was the rightful favorite in the big East coming into the year, but I thought UConn could be right behind them. I thought they could be behind them because of who they returned. Uh, the big East preseason player of the year, Adama Sonogo on top of that two projected potential first round picks in junior Andre Jackson, sophomore Jordan Hawkins brought in a nice recruiting class, brought in some nice transfers. So I was always high on this team, but what I will say, seeing UConn in person for three straight days or three out of four days in Portland, they are even better than I thought they would be. And here is the reason why. I don't know if they're the deepest team in college basketball. Arkansas's up there. Arizona's got a bunch of dudes, Creighton, whoever. But I think UConn has probably the most really high-level players that you can throw onto the floor against absolutely anybody, and they can contribute and they can compete. And I think that's ultimately what we saw in, um, in the Portland tournament over the course of this weekend. You know how I just mentioned they had this kid, Adama Sonogo, preseason uh, Big East Player of the Year, Jordan Hawkins, Andre Jackson, two players who were projected first-round picks depending on what mock drafts you look at? Here's the crazy part. I watched every minute of all three UConn games. I think you can argue they were not the three best players for UConn. How about this? Top 50 freshman, Donovan Klingon, he's from the state of Connecticut, seven foot two center, chooses UConn. He was actually the MVP of UConn's portion of the bracket uh, over the course of the weekend. 
with Adama Sonogo in foul trouble on Sunday night against Iowa State, finishes with 15 points, and he has been phenomenal. Bill Walton could not stop gushing about this guy as this guy just, you know, he stepped up, he did what he needed to do, seven foot two, he causes problems in the paint, he catches lobs, he was awesome. I would add, on top of that, Alex Caravan, a redshirt freshman, kind of enrolled at the midway point. He has been phenomenal early for the Huskies. He's averaging close to double figures, uh, shooting the ball really well. And on top of that, another guy that, that I thought really stood out, Joey Calcaterra. They call him Joey California. He transferred from the University of San Diego. He's been phenomenal as well. And what's really interesting about him was that he was basically, um, you know, basically labeled as a three-point shooter and nothing else. I thought he showed some really good playmaking skills, some really good ability in in uh, the Portland tournament. And on top of that, he is shooting the crap out of the ball. And so when I look at this UConn team, they go 3-0, and they take care of business, few things stand out. One, I don't know if they're the deepest team in college basketball right now. What I do know is they are the deepest in terms of guys that can play and can contribute. Let me give you an example. They have a guard named Naheem Aleen, who transferred from Virginia Tech, averaged double figures there. He's averaging seven points per game this season, in large part because the guys in front of him are just better. That's not a knock on him. That's just a reality, and it shows how deep and how talented this team is. The other thing, and I find this very interesting, I remember talking about it after UConn lost in the opening round of the NCAA tournament last year to New Mexico State. I remember saying point blank, like, the shooting has to get better. The skill level has to get better. As UConn had four guys leave the, 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 the program last season, veteran players, no disrespect, they were all good, but some of them were a little bit uh, limited in what they can do. Well, fast forward, UConn still has kind of the size that they've always had. They're one of the top rebounding teams in the country, but they're shooting 37% from the three-point line. On top of that, 19 uh, assists per game compared to about 13 turnovers, so they're sharing the ball really well. Tristan Newton, a transfer from East Carolina, has been really good, but I'll tell you this. I thought this UConn team was a legit, probably top 15 team, probably somewhere in the second to third range in the Big East. Well, they're ranked in the top 10 right now. They came in at number eight in the AP poll. I think if they had played earlier, they might be ranked even higher. They're really talented. They're really good. I think they are very clearly one in one a with Creighton in the big East. I think that's going to be a fun battle. We'll talk about Villanova later. They ain't anywhere close. Uh, the other side of the bracket in, in Portland, I think it's worth noting Purdue looked awesome. I can't give credit to UConn for three straight wins of 15 plus points without noting that when it comes to Purdue, they beat uh, Duke by 19 in the championship game, and the day before, they beat Gonzaga by 18. And so you look at Purdue, you can't say they didn't earn their stripes beating Gonzaga and Duke in back-to-back -back games, uh, games and wins that will carry all season long. But what I really liked about Purdue, I'll be honest, I think Purdue this year more than last year knows who they are. And so what do I mean by that? Last year, I always thought there was this weird dynamic where the, the way that they played didn't highlight the skill of their best player. If you remember, they had a guard named Jaden Ivey. He was a top five pick. He went to the Detroit Pistons. And he was maybe the best player in college basketball last year or certainly one of a handful. The problem is Purdue, we've all watched them for years. They like to kind of feed the ball into the post, play through their centers, kind of some old school Big Ten basketball. Well, it was always a weird back and forth. And I think we saw it in the NCAA tournament when they lost to St. Peter's. 
It was this weird back and forth where do we let our star guard, who's the best player on the floor, take over? Do we feed the ball into the post? And there was just never any symmetry. Well, this year, that is not a problem at all as Zach Eady, seven foot four center. This kid is a monster, okay? I was watching the Duke game the other day. Duke has a pair of seven footers. Derek Lively, top five prospect in America last year. Kyle Filipowski, top five prospect in America last year. Neither of them had anything close to an answer for this kid. And so when I look at it, I just sit there and say, man, oh man, oh man, oh man, oh man. This kid is awesome. Only player in college basketball right now averaging 20 points or more and 10 or more rebounds. He's actually averaging a little closer to 21 and 12 in the game against Duke in the title game. He went for 21 and 12 this after going for 23 and 7 against Gonzaga. And I'll just tell you when it comes to Purdue, a couple things stand out. One, I think they might be the best team in the Big Ten. Obviously, if you beat Duke and Gonzaga in back-to-back games, that's always a good thing. More importantly, how about the Big Ten? Now, we're going to learn a lot about the Big Ten this coming week with the Big Ten ACC Challenge. But at the same time, Big Ten right now, Indiana's already beaten Xavier at Xavier. Uh, Michigan State has beaten Kentucky and Villanova in back-to-back games. And I know Villanova struggled, but you get the point. Um Oh, by the way, Illinois t- took care of UCLA at the uh, one of the tournaments out in Vegas, and now Purdue looks really good as well. It's really interesting. We do it every year. We look at the Big Ten. Because the Big Ten doesn't sign a bunch of five stars because they don't have always a bunch of NBA prospects, we sit there and say, oh, that team stinks. By the way, Iowa has looked good too as well. And I'm just telling you, the Big Ten looks good once again. Purdue might be the best team in that conference. Really quickly, some of the other teams that stood out. Uh, you know, first of all, credit Alabama, man. You know, Alabama obviously lost to UConn, but not everyone's going to win the tournament. And overall, I thought they looked really good. They, of course, on Sunday played a wild four overtime semifinal against number one ranked North Carolina. They get the victory. When I look at Alabama, a couple of things stand out. One, and I know there's people that listen to this show or follow my work. And last year, Alabama had a couple big wins early. They beat Gonzaga in uh, Seattle. They beat Houston at home. And I hyped up Alabama. I think anybody would when you have a pair of top 10 wins. But I, I, I they struggled down the stretch, and everybody wants to say, oh, it's going to be the same this year. You hype them up every single year. This feels a little bit different. I could be wrong. We'll find out, but it feels different. First off, they just seem to be playing with more kind of uh, chemistry and cohesiveness. The guards are awesome. I think there's kind of a clear pecking order where you have Brandon Miller, a true freshman who's an absolute star on that team. You have the veteran guards and Javon Quinterly, uh, Namari Burnett, the transfer from Texas Tech. Uh, and then you have the younger guys, Jaden Bradley, other guys that are bought in. So I like this team. Mark Sears, a transfer from Ohio. I like this team. And most importantly, two other things stand out. One, I like the depth, okay? They play fast. They shoot a lot of threes. And the bottom line is you can only play that way If you have really good players and a lot of really good players, well, they have nine players who play at least 17 minutes. They seem much more cohesive. They seem to to be much just just a more kind of balanced team than they were last year where it just never really clicked. And I would add this. They're starting to shoot the three ball again like we know they're capable of doing. And don't tell me, oh, it's early. They'll figure it out. They're going to fall apart, blah, blah, blah. Everyone knows on the scouting report, Alabama shoots a lot of threes. And so to me, the fact that they're hitting about 36, 37% is a great sign so far. Really quickly, I would also give credit in Portland to the uh, Iowa State Cyclones. Okay, so Iowa State was the team that, first of all, they beat UConn 
in or they beat North Carolina in the semifinals. So they have a great win on their resume. And they take care. They they play UConn in the championship game, and it's kind of like what I said a second ago with you with, with Alabama. Not everybody can win this thing, and so for Iowa State to go to Portland, beat Villanova, beat North Carolina, you do lose in the championship game. I think that's nothing but a great sign for people who did not see Iowa State. The one thing they do, they defend their butts off. Okay, I you know Bill Walton talked about this on the broadcast, but he said he's been to practices. You know, every team across the country through the years, he said he's never heard the communication level, the talking, everything that went on at Iowa State. They play incredible team defense. Held their first opponent not not this weekend, but just in general held their first opponent to 39 points, 43 in the second game of the season, held North Carolina to 65 points, which which is their season low by a, a pretty significant margin in terms of the fewest points that they've scored. They had not scored fewer than uh, 69 since the opening night. They'll go for 65 against Iowa State. So credit Iowa State for getting uh, a couple victories out there in Portland. Again, overall, those were the teams that stood out. And I'll tell you what, one team that stood out that wasn't in Portland, we got to give credit to the Tennessee Vols. They go to the battle for Atlantis. They beat Butler, USC, and Kansas. Um, And I think what the the way they're doing it is with defense. They hold Kansas to 50 points in the championship game. They hold them to 32% from the field, 23% from the three-point line. And I think the star there, the guy that you need to know is the guy that's been there forever. Santiago Vescovi is just that dude. Finished the championship game with 20 points. Um, And this is a team that I think is still kind of trying to figure itself out, right? Have the the SEC title run uh, late last year. Go to the NCAA tournament as one of the hottest teams in college basketball. It doesn't work out. But you lose an NBA draft prospect in Kennedy Chandler. You bring back everybody, but everybody's got slightly different roles. Credit to Tennessee. They took a weird loss early against Colorado, but they do bounce back. That's what I want to do. Do want to take a quick break, come back, and when I come back, we will talk about the teams that have been disappointing so far and were disappointing in Feast Week. I'm, of course, going to talk about Villanova, going to talk about Duke, going to talk about Carolina. Who am I most concerned about? And to be blunt, who am I not concerned about at all? Take a quick break. Be right back. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChumpaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumpaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.